What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Saturday, September 24th. We slacked the last couple of days and did not come out with an episode, but we are we are here on Saturday with a little bit of a more chill episode, I would say. This is not going to be one of our back-to-back grind episodes where we just talk about anything and everything that is football. We're going to be um, we're going to be going over a couple other sports like PGA. We're going to have a little bit of a you're wrong segment in here, or you're wrong man segment in here. Haven't had one of those in a while. And then we're going to have a new segment. As you guys see in the title, there is a new segment alert right at the end here. So so be sure to stay tuned until the end. It might be a, a little bit of a shorter episode today. So staying until the end won't be too too long from now. So that's how we are taking it today. Matt, how are you? I'm good. And we're also in person. So, that's right. So, uh, yeah, one of those times where it was kind of nearing the end of the week and we were like, wait, do we want to actually do – well, hey, we're going to be there to- together on Saturday. So um, – and, and two, you know, kind of these later in the week ones, like Hayden said, it's more of a freelancing. But also we can kind of go a little bit deeper into stuff that we want to talk about or didn't get to talk about during the week but isn't as imminent as – recapping a week of football or you know or something like that so i think that's kind of why it also makes more sense to just you know if we do have the opportunity to be in person because it allows for a lot more you know kind of back and forth dialogue without one of us going on a on a significantly long and and meaningless monologue uh then then we're going to take that opportunity so so that's why we're here uh today to do it Alrighty. well without further ado let's move into the nfl of course we've got nfl first we've got two topics for the nfl and then we've got one topic for PGA, and then we've got the fun segments at the end. So let's head right into the, into the NFL. So Lamar Jackson's contract has been a very hot topic, even, even before the regular season started, honestly. And the craziest part about this is that Lamar doesn't have an agent. So he, he represents himself from here on out. He's basically the one that negotiates all of his contracts with the Ravens and if not with the Ravens in the future, with other teams. And so that's interesting because a lot of, I mean, even even the greatest guys in the NFL, they have agents. Like I think AZ who, who uh, works, I mean, who used to do the podcast with us and who hops on from time to time, he worked with uh, athletes first this past summer. And they represent, I think, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, all these other guys. Um, and so, you know, they're a huge agency that represents a lot of the bigger players. But Lamar Jackson, he doesn't have an agent. So he just represents himself and... We saw that he rejected the contract that the Ravens offered him earlier this season. I think like right at the beginning of the season. I don't exactly remember what it was. I think I think it was just too it was too less guaranteed money. Like they offered him a contract that was worth two hundred fifty million with incentives and everything like that. With basically that was the max contract he could have gotten, and I think it was over six years, so it would have been I think forty eight million or something in that range per year, which is right up there with Patrick Mahomes, who is still the highest paid quarterback in the NFL or highest paid player, I think, in the NFL. And he, he rejected that because he said, okay, well, you're not giving me enough guaranteed money. I think it was like $136 million guaranteed, which is a lot less. I mean, that's that's over $100 million difference <laughs> that we're talking in, in terms of guaranteed and, and total money that he would have gotten. So let's touch on what's happened so far with the him rejecting con- the contract and how we think they'll get it done in the future. Will we think that they'll pay Lamar Jackson a lot because he's been going off and you know, early this season, or do we think that they're going to be pretty adamant about not giving him a lot of guaranteed money and making him work for his money in the future? So just very big picture here. When a, when a quarterback is drafted uh, in the first round, they are given essentially a four year contract. And 
that contract is 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 well, if you're drafted in the first round, it's it's a it's pretty large. It's you know, if you I guess, you know, probably up to like I guess five or six million dollars a year or something like that. Obviously if you're drafted in the second round and beyond, then you know, it it gets lower. But essentially the the point here is that if you're a rookie and you get drafted in the NFL, you will basically automatically have a four year contract with that team, unless that team decides to trade you and whatever, but you know, that's kind of just how it works out when you sign your first contract with an NFL team. It's a four-year deal. And usually, obviously, the, you know, the, the prices are kind of stipulated based on whatever the team feels is necessary, based on the talent of the player and what, how much they're going to play for them, all, you know, all this stuff. And, and that's, you know, you can kind of really kind of deduce that yourself. So what kind of ends up happening is like if the player is really, really good, especially if they're a young player and they're really, really good, what you end up with is the team essentially getting away with, you know, not stealing money, but really basically, you know, getting a very cheap contract for a really good player. And in Lamar Jackson's case, he's one of the best players in the league, right? He's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's electrifying. He won, he won the NFL MVP in his second year. And, and so all of this stuff goes to say that Lamar Jackson is worth a lot more money than he's being paid, right? His contract should be a lot more money than he's being paid. But again, he's on his rookie contract still. It's coming up to where that rookie contract is expiring now. And so the con, you know, the contract negotiations and everything is, is beginning in terms of how much the Ravens are going to pay him to, to keep him as their quarterback. If they don't feel like paying him, to keep him as their quarterback, which I don't, I that would be a very, very uh, not intelligent move by the Ravens. But they also they have that option, right? Because that's kind of built into your rookie contract, and then what you agree upon for your next contract. And so that's kind of what we're dealing with here. Is like, well, why is and, and so that's you know kind of basically around the behind the scenes, a little is like, well, why is all this talk, you know con- contract negotiations and everything? Why is this happening now? What are the kind of different sides going back and forth about? It, it's really just kind of determining. The fact that the Ravens have been getting away with paying Lamar Jackson a lot less than, uh, you know, he, he has given to them based on the talent, and the skill level and everything he's he's accomplished since being the quarterback there. And so now they're going to have to pay him. And that, again, we, we have gone out of this, too, is like, you know, if you pay someone a lot more money than you have been paying them, that cuts into the salary cap. And the salary cap is an average or, you know, the, the most amount of money that you can spend uh, on you know paying your players as a whole for the throughout the entire season so there's all this that goes into it right and so this which is to say if you're going to pay Lamar Jackson a lot of more money than he's making right now you might have to cut people or you might have to you know rework some other contracts on the team so all of this kind of goes into what the Ravens are dealing with right now and and this is obviously based on the fact that Lamar Jackson is now has now seen what he's worth and everybody knows what he's worth and Essentially, he's betting on himself. And we see this happen a lot with quarterbacks. Dak Prescott is probably the most recent famous example where he breaks his leg in that season two years ago in a contract year. And everybody says, oh, my gosh, he broke his leg in a contract year. He's out for the season. He's not going to play any, you know, he's not going to play. Who knows how he's going to be health-wise or or talent-wise, skill-wise when he comes back. This is so horrible. The Cowboys are going to cut him or they're going to pay him way less money than he's worth. And Dak Prescott basically said no to all of the, you know, to all of the contract deals that the Cowboys came up with until basically they were like, he was like, okay, well, you know, if you're not going to pay me all the money that I want to be paid, then I'm, then fine. Just drop me and someone else will pick me up and pay me that much money. And the Cowboys were like, oh uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of true. And Hey, it's also the Cowboys. They have plenty of money to, to, you know, to be spending out here. And right. Dak Prescott. Yes. He broke his leg. It, it, it was a really bad injury. Okay. It was, it was, it was horrible, but it's like, 
you were kind of thinking, you know, if he and, and again, Dak Prescott is not he's not a super mobile quarterback. He does run when he needs to, but he's more of a pocket passer, too. So kind of all this coming going into it means that or at least for the Cowboys thought that like, all right, we're going to give him a second chance or we're going to you know, we're going to we're going to pay the money he's due. And so he made a lot more money than he would than he was first presented with after kind of, you know, the, the injury happened. And so that's, I think, a little bit similar to what Lamar Jackson's dealing with, except Lamar Jackson has never gotten hurt. I mean, he was out for a couple games last year, but it wasn't like anything serious, right? He's won an NFL MVP. He's won, I think, one playoff game, which is kind of the only lack, you know, lacking part of his game, I guess. But overall, means a lot more to this Ravens team uh, than than pretty much any other quarterback in the league uh, because of the situation that he is able to provide them. And so that's kind of where we get into well, so what, you know, what is actually going on here? He doesn't have an agent. And again, Hayden kind of explained that out pretty well there. Uh, and, and the reason, well, I don't know if this is the exact reason, but I guess one of the benefits of not having uh, an agent is that realistically agency, sports agencies, you know, represent players and sports agencies know all of the laws in sports contracts. And so they're able to negotiate with the teams who also have lawyers who are presenting them with these large contracts and, you know, basically saying, okay, well, they represent the player. And so they get, they receive what the contract would be from the team. They decide that this is either a good deal or not a good deal. And they kind of communicate that to their player. The point of this is to get the player the very most money. But at the same time, the sports agency makes a percentage of the annual salary that the player gets. So if you don't have an agent, you don't have to pay anybody a percent of your salary. Now, it's not a huge amount, but I think most agencies charge probably 10, maybe 10, 15 percent of the player's annual salary. So you think about Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's making 50 million dollars a year. That's ten million dollars to whoever you know represents him as a you know as a as an agent. So you're losing out on a lot of money that you could possibly be getting. But at the same time, if you do have an agent, and you're represented by someone. There's a possibility that you will make a lot more money because they know the laws of how contracts are written and all that stuff. Big picture, that's kind of what's going on here. Um, and that was kind of just an explanation behind the scenes. And again, like I said, the Ravens are going to have to pay Lamar Jackson. At the end of the day, like he is worth more than what they're paying him right now. And they're going to have to pay him a lot of money. But you have to think about this. And I'm going to end on this kind of point here. It always goes back to, and you've probably heard this before. It's called, and it's kind of a saying, and it says, uh, today's price is not tomorrow's price. And that's very true. And I mean, I'm not going to bring up all the research because I haven't done it. But it basically seems that every quarterback who is, you know, a franchise quarterback to some extent uh, that has kind of solidified himself as being that quarterback for a while now going to sign a line, song sign a long-term contract each of these guys when a, when a new player signs is getting more money right we saw this happen Deshaun Watson like was the first you know fully guaranteed contract in the history of the NFL Russell Wilson follows that up with you know the second rich obviously nothing will be Patrick Mahomes until someone beats Patrick Mahomes but that's kind of like an outlier at this point but basically the, the, the point is every new quarterback that gets signed by a team is making more is, is basically then then going to be the second highest paid quarterback in the league. So it was like, you know, Patrick Mahomes, and then I think it was Aaron Rodgers, right? And then Deshaun Watson got, you know, signed a contract. So he became the second pay, highest paid quarterback in the league. Russell Wilson signs his contract. He becomes the second highest paid. So it's basically any team or any player that gets signed, the next time they, you know, sign a contract, they're going to be the highest player in the league. So our highest paid player, well, second highest paid quarterback, whatever, right? So that's kind of the idea here is like Lamar Jackson is basically like, it doesn't matter what you know, I, I want to be paid fully what I'm worth. And the Ravens are going back and forth about like, oh, should we pay him? But it's like, okay, whatever the Ravens end up paying him, it'll be a lot less than what you're going to end up paying him next year when like the rookie contract is up and you have all these teams that want to get Lamar Jackson. So that's kind of the idea here of why it's like an actually a big deal. 
And, and I think the Ravens just need to kind of just suck it up and say, all right, we're going to pay you, dude, because like, look at what he's brought their franchise and look at his, what he's worth now, which is going to end up being a lot more. And they're going to only have to pay him more the longer they draw this out. So that's kind of my theory on the situation. Yeah, th- that's a pretty good theory. And I, I would say that I have two things to say here. And the first is going back to the Deshaun Watson situation, how Deshaun Watson got a fully guaranteed contract. It was what I think it was something around like the two, it was 250 over six years, right? Yeah, 250 over six years, and right, it was fully guaranteed. And so they showed that to Lamar, but then they said, okay, well, you're not going to get all that guaranteed money. I don't know why the Browns gave Deshaun Watson a fully guaranteed $48 million per year over six years. That just makes no sense, but right, that's kind of a thing of the past. But one of Lamar's things, I think I think he came out and said this either on Twitter, he like indirectly said it, he made a, he made a joke about it or something like that, or he said it outright. One, one of his arguments for not taking this contract that they offered him which was right a lot less guaranteed money but he could fully get that 250 million over six years if he completed all his all his incentives and you know won a couple playoff games whatever but he but he said he was like I'm not going to be paid less guaranteed money than a guy that is suspended for 11 games or until week 13 and you know a guy that that's had all these allegations put up against him and then I'm over here making half, basically half of what he's making, fully guaranteed money. So, I completely agree with that. I think Lamar has a very good point there. That was that was probably the best the best way that he could have, I guess, manipul- manipulated the Ravens organization in that sense of getting him the the money that he wants. And I would also say that him being his own agent, right? Like him not having any agent, like Matt said, he gets more of the money, or he gets that money that would have gone to the agency that percentage that would have gone to the agency if he had an agent, he gets that money. But he all, but also I, I feel like, I mean, right. You got guys with law degrees that are basically sports lawyers make, you know, hashing out these contracts, working day in, day out to get these contracts signed. And you, they basically just read everything for you. And then they tell you, okay, this is a good one to sign. This is, this is not a good one to sign. All that's great and dandy, but when it comes down to it, like in just in terms of personal relations with the organization, if Lamar's talking to the the Ravens organization himself and saying, "Okay, I want this money," right? Like, I I feel like there's there's a there's an element of there's like a personal element to it where if you're talking if the Ravens organization is talking to an agent or somebody that's representing Lamar and they're not actually really talking to Lamar, they're talking through somebody to Lamar. It, it's, a, it's a lot different, I think. You know, obviously, these guys with law degrees, they're very good at negotiating. And, right, they're, they're, agent, they're NFL agents for a reason because they're the best in the business. But I also do think that, right, the guy who's playing football for you, like, if he, sa- if, if he tells you straight up to your face, if he's talking directly to you and not through somebody, if he tells you, hey, I'm not going to take this contract, I'm not going to, you know, take a contract that's worth $100 million less guaranteed money than a guy that has 60 allegations set against him work something out with me I, th- I think that's that's actually a lot more powerful in in a sense than um than working through an agent would be so yeah I think that Lamar will get his money at the end of the day like he's right like Matt said they would be the, the Ravens would be stupid not to give him the money that he wants it's just gonna it may take a little bit of time but I mean he's really showing it this year that that he deserves it and that's that's another thing is that like right he's in a contract year and the Ravens need to pay him. Guys always perform in contract years. It seems it seems like that at least, right? Matt put up the example of of Dak, which that wasn't his fault that he got hurt. So it wasn't his fault that he didn't perform, I guess, in in his contract year. But he still got paid by by the Cowboys. And so if we're sitting here and we're looking at that, 
okay, Dak still got paid even when he got hurt and was out for a whole season. And the Cowboys didn't basically didn't know what his future held for him because, right, I mean, your ankle gets twisted backwards. Like, you don't know if you're going to really play well again because that's a pretty bad, pretty bad injury. So knowing that Lamar is still playing, basically being the leader of that franchise and you know, leading their team in, in basically every stat category ever, even rushing. Like, it's 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 crazy what he's doing for the Ravens. And so I'm sitting here saying, okay, well, if the Ravens don't pay him, there's got to be something wrong here because the Cowboys paid Dak even when he was hurt and his future was just totally uncertain. But we know what we know what Lamar can do and we know that he's going to get it done no matter what. Um, and, and obviously, you know, he's, he's shown out in this contract year. So that's kind of... The, the end of that of that segment right there, the that topic, I guess. Um, now we're going to move into the Browns versus Steelers Thursday night game, and I'm going to let Matt kind of give some points points of his first. But, yeah, we just want to talk about the, the, the Steelers-Browns game because I think AFC North play is, is sometimes some of the best football to watch just because it's, like, so chippy and so, I don't know, it's just, it's just so fun to watch because, like, sometimes, most of the time it's a very defensive game and it's – pretty low scoring but this one on Thursday night was actually pretty high scoring it was it was higher scoring than I thought it would be so uh, I'm gonna let Matt give his thoughts first well it was only higher scoring in the second half because the Steelers are, are dumb defensively uh but anyway so it was it was a good game to watch Hayden's right I mean but I mean you think about this it's like it was a story of two halves right so the 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 score was 14 to 13 at halftime the Pittsburgh Steelers were winning 14 to 13 and the end of the game is 29 to 17 Browns okay so the Browns outscored the Steelers 16 to 3 in the second half and you're thinking well you know what happened there I I don't really know I didn't watch like every single play of the game but just from what I saw it was almost like kind of what we've seen in previous years, uh, you know, with the Steelers offense and, and kind of watching Ben Roethlisberger at the end of his career, but he was at least moving the ball, right? He was throwing the ball still like 40 times a game and he was throwing these short passes and the running game was good. Najee Harris had like 1200 yards or something last year rushing. And so, and he as a rookie, right? And so you're thinking this year, all right, well, cool. They got, you know, obviously you got the Mitch Trubisky and, and, you know, and Kenny Pickett thing and I'll let Hayden talk about that a little bit later, but it's it's okay fine you know you don't have Ben Roethlisberger anymore and but it's probably better because whatever he was is is not you know it's gonna be a little bit better to have someone younger in there um and I don't know I mean Mitch Mitch, Mitch Trubisky kind of just looked like regular old Mitch Trubisky I think like there wasn't really anything that stood out as compared to what he's done in past years as a starting quarterback now too you know you think about it and it's like the Steelers overall talent wise aren't as good as the Browns, right? And so in a game like this, they should lose. And obviously they were, you know, they were, they were underdogs. I think the Browns were favored by four or five points going into that game. So, you know, that, that lines up, but you also have to think about the Steelers defense, which is one of the best in the league. If you have TJ Watt and clearly, you know, they're not going to have TJ Watt for, I think six to eight weeks or something uh, until he comes back from his pectoral injury. So with him not there, there, you know, you lose a lot of, you know, a lot of chances, I guess, to, to, to sack the quarterback, to, you know, to make plays in the backfield, running the ball. And, and in the defensive end, too, like, you know, when you get someone to, to rush the passer, rush the passer, uh, you know, you have a lot of guys in the secondary who are able to make plays off of that. And and obviously with a dominant running attack uh, led by Nick Chubb and, and Kareem, Kareem Hunt that the Browns have, then you kind of look at it and you're like, well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense that the Browns beat the Steelers in this game. And I think that a lot of people were thinking that, oh, the Steelers are the trendy underdog pick. You know, they're going to win this game because they're always well coached. 
coached. Mike Tomlin, you know, knows what he's doing and everything. So you have all of these kind of stories going on prior to the game, and then after the game plays out, it kind of is like, yeah, you know, that that, that made sense in terms of the way that it went. I just think that it looked like a lot closer uh, game in the first half, and then obviously it kind of, you know, the, the Browns ran, ran away with it in the second half, and the Steelers' offense kind of just really sputtered um, for the most part. So I think the story coming out of this, though, and what a lot of people is talk, a lot of people are talking about, is the fact that Jacoby Brissett is now, you know, has has led the Browns to a two and one start, right? And it should be, I mean, if history did not happen last week against the Jets, the Browns would be three and zero, right? And that's, you know, that's kind of what we would have expected them to do, uh, you know, kind of going into the season if they still had Baker Mayfield, right? Or if Deshaun Watson, you know, none of this thing had happened and he'd been starting for them, whatever. So you're looking at the Browns team and you're like, all right, well, cool, that 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 sounds good, but everybody I think is anointing Jacoby Brissett for how good he's been and as much as it sounds like I'm, I'm almost going to criticize him I I like the way that he's playing and I, and I think that he's a good quarterback and I think that he just hasn't gotten enough credit in the past all right so you think about where he's been before this it was really just I mean I think he was with um I guess he was drafted by the maybe he was drafted by the Bucks I don't remember but he was with the Patriots for you know for a time there when Brady was still there and I think Brady was hurt and Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt for there was like one game where he started for the Patriots and they won right and then he played for the Colts in that kind of interim season before uh, kind of between Andrew Luck and uh, Philip Rivers, and he was okay, but I think they were trying to lose too, so it was kind of, kind of, you know, didn't really matter that time. Um, and he was a backup for the Colts for a little while, and every time he got in, you know, it was kind of weird. And then he played for the Dolphins the last couple of years, and he kind of got in and out, you know, sometimes when he obviously, you know, Matt uh, Fitzpatrick was there too. So there was a lot of, you know, a lot, of, a lot of kind of names and faces, and he's been to a lot of places now too, but. Now he's kind of getting his, his chance to actually start the majority of a season with a football team who really is only using him as basically a backup or kind of this, you know, interim quarterback until they can get their star quarterback into Deshaun Watson on the field. And, dude, he's playing really well. And it's funny because the broadcasters like Kirk Herbstreet and, and Al Michaels last night, or not last night, but, you know, on the, on Thursday night during the game, they're, 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 you know, they're like, we're so surprised at how well Jacoby Brissett's playing. It's like, dude, he's just throwing the passes right over the middle and he has time to throw the ball. And his run game is working out for him. And so I think that's kind of what I'm coming away with this from is like everybody's anointing, like I said, anointing Jacoby Brissett is like he's playing so well. I don't think he's playing any better than he used to. I just think he has such a better situation in Cleveland that than he's been used to because really in any situation that he played for like I just mentioned like the Bucks back when he played for them were terrible the Patriots was a good situation but he only played one game and he won it right and the Colts were tanking to uh you know to to figure out where their next quarterback was going to come from and so it was kind of just a situation where like everywhere and the Dolphins obviously before kind of you know this this recent hype of last year and this year they were bad too so every place that he's been in, and I've seen even some advanced stats that basically say like his his percentage of dropbacks that he was you know likely to get sacked on is a crazy amount. His running game was never good, and basically he has all of that now. Okay, a and b. I was also looking at some comparisons between Baker Mayfield, what he would do in the pocket when he had the ball and going back to pass, versus what uh, Joe Jacoby Brissett's doing right now, and it's like insane because obviously, as we've seen, J- Baker Mayfield wants the game, wants to make the game all about himself, and wants the big plays and and you know, to make himself the hero in, in a lot of these situations when really their team is not built to do something like that. And so now you have the situation where Jacoby Brissett's like, hey, I'm just going to get in there and be a game manager. We have two, you know, basically two starting running backs in the backfield that always eclipse, you know, 100 yards, sometimes even combined, uh, or so, sorry, sometimes even each to, you know, to go over 200 yards rushing for total. 
And I just need to kind of find the open guy. You have weapons on the outside. We saw Amari Cooper catch that touchdown pass. You have David Njoku, who was supposed to be traded, and he was like, no, I just want to stay. And, and so we have a good situation here set up for Jacoby Brissett because the Browns team, like, as much as we want to say, oh, they're just the Cleveland Browns, like, they, they have a good roster. Their team is talented. The defense is good. Miles Garrett is the best, probably behind Dar- Aaron Donald, probably the best defensive player in the league. Well, TJ Watt, Michael Parsons, whatever. He's one of the best players, uh, defensive players in the league. So it's a good team, and and just because it's a backup quarterback in there, this guy is a backup, but he's been a, he's been in the league for a while, and he's started in other places before, and he's always had a worse situation. So I think that there's some hope coming here for the Browns, and I think that hopefully kind of people start to realize this is not necessarily just a you know a, a, a pushover interim quarterback thing where they're you know they're gonna they're gonna hold him down and not let him win games. He's gonna do his best, and what he's done so far has proved to us that like he's good enough to be their quarterback. And so, what's really gonna be interesting, and this is obviously we're gonna be everyone's gonna be talking about it at the time that like when Deshaun Watson comes back after not playing football for two and a half years, is he going to be able to get to the level that he was before? And so, what's gonna be really the funniest thing over out of, out of all of this for the Browns is like that time when Deshaun Watson is probably supposed to be starting, but he kind of sucks and he doesn't actually play as well as people thought he would. And Jacoby Brissett is better because he's had like an entire season to play with his offense. And so they just keep in Jacoby Brissett and they're basically starting a, uh, you know, a backup quarterback and, and while paying Deshaun Watson $250 million. So that's kind of my analysis of, of the Thursday night game. I know it wasn't exact wasn't too much about the game specifically. Um, so I'll kind of let Hayden get into that a little bit. Yeah. Well, first of all about Jacoby Brissett, I'm, I'm kind of glad that Matt brought him up. This man is actually the best QB sneak QB I've I've ever seen in my life. Like he I've he's the first QB that averages four yards per QB sneak. Like it's it's crazy. He just I don't know. He kind of just sneaks through on on every QB sneak, and that's what that's one of the things that Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit were going crazy about on Thursday night. Was like every time they lined every time he lined up under under center, and it was like a third or fourth and one or less, they would they would call it every single time. They'd be like, yep, I want to see this QB sneak right here. He's going to get it no matter what. And every single time, he would get it. I think it, there was a couple of times where they would hand it off to Nick Chubb and like he had that fourth and goal touchdown after Kareem Hunt missed two, touch, two, two chances to score a touchdown before that. I'm just saying Nick Chubb is the much superior running back in that offense, but they continue to use Kareem Hunt uh, around the goal line. But anyway, that's not the point. Jacoby Percet, yeah, I'm I'm super impressed with him, and I'm I'm glad that Matt talked about him because I don't really have to now. I'm gonna talk more about the Steelers, and that is the fact that Matt brought up T.J. Watt, how he's so important on the that defense. He really is important. Okay, listen to this. Every time I think since he's been with the Steelers, since he you know has been, basically has been in the league, I think he's been hurt for only six games, six total games, including the one on Thursday night. Steelers are zero and six without him. Okay, and I think they they let they let up an average of like seven more points when he's not on the field or when he's not playing in the game, which may not seem like a lot. I think they they let up an average of twenty points when he's in the game, and then and they let up an average of twenty seven when he's not in the game. Something like that. It might be a little bit different, but it's some it's something along those lines. That's kind of a lot of points. I mean, if you think about it, if you think about it, like the spread of a game. Spreads in the NFL are usually are are they're typically under a touchdown, right? They're typically under seven points. Touched on an extra point, I guess, if you want to get nitpicky about it. But they're usually under seven points because NFL NFL games are usually close, right? So a touchdown, averaging, letting up more or seven more points than seven more points when he's not in the game versus when he is in the game. That's that's a huge difference that he's making on that defense. He also, I mean, he he does so much. Like he doesn't just rush the passer. He he bats down balls. He has those crazy interceptions where he just jumps up in the air and like it just somehow falls into his hands. 
Um, yeah, he's he, he's crazy. You can go out and cover it sometimes and, and cover the flat if there's a tight end that's doing a little out route to the outside. So, yeah, I mean, the, he's he, he's a monster, and the Steelers really need him back on that defense. Minka Fitzpatrick is another guy that we didn't we basically didn't see at all on Thursday night. I don't know where he was. He's been making a lot of plays so far this season. I'm, I think I think he has two interceptions so far coming into this game. I think he had two interceptions, and uh, so that's averaging an interception per one one interception per game. And then against the Browns, he just was basically non-existent. I literally didn't see number thirty nine on the field until probably like midway through the fourth quarter when they were pretty much bound to lose at that point um another thing that that could I, I forget what this Matt do you know what the spread was for this game it was minus four right well it, it kind of moved around so it was it was five earlier in the week and then it got down by the time it was kickoff which is when most people are betting it was four um I bet the Steelers plus five and so I'm like why on fourth and one with a minute left in the game when you're down by six points why or no when you're down by nine points why are you kicking a field goal to go down six it doesn't make any sense but that's my personal gambling beef with Mike Tomlin who made a horrible coaching decision in my mind anyway yes Hayden to answer your question the spread was four to start the game yeah well they were so they were basically the the Steelers were down by six I I believe I think it was yeah it was it was it was 23-17 and right they uh they kicked the field goal instead of going for it on fourth down and that yeah that made it 17 to 23 and then the Steelers got it again and then the Browns got that Crazy fumble recovery for a touchdown on the last play of the game. One, a couple of my buddies actually had. Actually, I was playing against somebody that had the, the Cleveland Browns defense in fantasy this week, and I didn't even really notice it. And I think it was you, Matt. I think I think you have the Browns defense. Actually, I'm not. I'm not completely sure. I, I don't I'm, even know. I'm playing <laughs> I have too many fantasy teams. Yeah, I'm playing Madden in uh, in one one of my leagues this this week, and I think he did have the the Browns defense, who would have scored. I think maybe four points at the most. I mean, there was. They had that one fumble recovery um, from uh, Jalen Jalen something or other. I can't remember his name. And then I think that was really one of the only turnovers of the game. I mean, it was it was a pretty it was a pretty offensive game, honestly. Which which again, I'm, I'm I was very surprised about. It. I did I never saw the Cleveland Browns scoring 29 points against the Steelers because it's always those games are always like 13 to seven. And uh, I think there was four scores in the first like five drives or something like that, which is again that that is not very reminiscent of these AFC North teams which to our surprise was uh was was you know kind of a nice surprise on Thursday night seeing all that scoring but yeah the, I mean the Steelers like the injury with TJ Watt is is actually I think even more important than a lot of people think it is because TJ Watt I mean he, he's the heart and soul of that defense and it, it really shows also I'm probably going to talk a little bit more about it later but that offense they need some help okay a lot of people are saying that Kenny Pickett needs to come in and start instead of Mitch Trubisky. I'll talk about that a little bit later, but I I do the last thing I want to touch up on is the offensive coordinator. I forget Matt his, Canada. His, yes, Matt Canada, offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think he's on the he he may be on the hot seat. I think that he's really the problem in this offense because the receivers are good. I mean, they've got Deont- Deontay Johnson, uh, Chase Claypool, George Pickens made that amazing catch. He's on the come up. He's going to be really good. Let me tell you that. Um, and then, you know, they've got uh, Pat Fryermuth at, at tight end. Like, they've got a very good set of receivers. Obviously, they've got very good – Jalen Warren is his name. That's 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 the backup running back behind Najee. Um, and Jalen Warren is – he was undrafted, I think, and he was, he's been super, super good. And I've, obviously, Najee is one of the best, most talented running backs in the league. So they, And they have all those pieces, right? 
the offensive line on Thursday night, believe it or not, looked the best that it has out of all the Steelers games so far this season. I mean, the Steelers offensive line it was supposed to be one of the worst in the league coming into this year, and they, the first two games they were. I mean, they they were just absolutely garbage. But against the Browns, they actually looked pretty they, they looked pretty good. They were moving the ball at the beginning of the game really well. I mean, yeah, I think they scored on two of their first three drives or something like that, which was which was great to see, but they still managed to lose by 12 points. And so you're looking at the offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, like, yo, something needs to something needs to go right here for your team. I don't think that Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett, I don't think there's, there's going to be like much of a, a huge difference there if Kenny Pickett does come in and start. But I do what I am looking for is a change in that offense because they all they do is just throw short passes and do like inside zone with Najee Harris and from shotgun. And that's that's basically all they do all you know, the whole game. They get figured out by the second half and then they ended up, you know, they end up giving the game away to whoever they're playing. So I think that there needs to be a change in the offensive scheme. You don't have Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback anymore. You know, or the ghost of Ben Roethlisberger, honestly, the last couple of years we saw him playing for the Steelers. You don't have that guy back there anymore. You've got mobile guys in, in Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. We've seen Mitch Trubisky make plays with his legs. And so it doesn't matter who's starting, Kenny Pickett or or Mitch Trubisky. Again, I'll talk about this later, who I want starting. But it doesn't matter who's starting. It's it's. I, th- I think it comes down to Matt Canada and him putting Mitch Trubisky in a position where he can actually play ball and make plays rather than just like throwing a check down and a hitch every single time to Deontay Johnson on the outside. So that's uh, that's that's my take on this whole Steelers situation. Again, I, the Browns impressed me, but I wasn't really surprised by by what they did on, on Thursday night. I kind of expected it to happen. I expected the Browns to win, but yeah. Um, let's move into PGA, Matt. So the Tour Championship is over, um, which is essentially the last leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs, which if you win the FedEx Cup playoffs, you basically just win $15 million, and it's like the biggest prize on the PGA Tour, and whatever, whatever. Rory McIlroy won it this year. Congratulations to him. He's won it like three times, though, so whatever. But it's kind of the culmination of the whole PGA Tour season, because based on where you finish in your PGA Tour events, uh, you gain a certain amount of points per each finish, and then the person with the most points kind of, you know, you get lined up in kind of a staggered start time by the time you get to this tour championship, which is the last event. And then whoever wins that you win the, you know, you win the big prize, whatever. Scotty Scheffler was like above and beyond the like leading obviously because he won like six tournaments this year. And then he actually ch- ended up choking it at the very end. So congratulations to Rory McIlroy, as I said before, but anyway, uh, the tour championship is over. And we're on to starting a new PGA season, which, by the way, the off season in the PGA is only one week. <laughs> we got one week off, and now we're back on the PGA. But it comes with a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, uh, a bit of controversy. Obviously, when there was live, but but just even in general, just like, I guess not as much excitement as we were normally used to seeing, uh, because it's looking like our earlier predictions are right. Uh, the live tour has taken a good amount of the former PGA players. However. A lot of the stars remain. I think that that's kind of one thing that's getting lost in this a little bit is that, you know, oh, well, the Live Tour, everybody's with the Live Tour now. No, not really. I mean, you still have Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, guys who have won, who won majors this year, who won the FedEx Cup playoffs this year, right? So a lot of these stars who, who are still brand names, I mean, right. Patrick Cantley, Scotty Scheffler, like guys who are up-and-coming youngsters, as well as kind of the seasoned veterans on the PGA Tour, they're all still with the PGA, but you don't have a lot of the bigger name or a lot of, uh, you know, other big names that that have a, at least, you know, are kind of coming up this year, as well as who have been kind of seasoned veterans on the PGA Tour before. And so the question here is like, you know, really, 
with a sport that's already already struggling to to maintain viewership as well as spark new interest in the sport overall uh you know the question is what what will this season look like and, and how do we think the situation will change if at all by this time next year and I am really going to kind of, I mean, because I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, pretty, pretty big fan of, of golf in general, and I kind of watch it and follow it whatever, and it's just like, I'm looking at these upcoming events, and obviously the fall swing, that's what we call it, the fall swing is, is, is really, it's always kind of dead, you don't really have that many, uh, you know, big stars playing in these events because it's, I mean, it's mingling during football season. You, you know, you kind of got to get a, have a time off during, cause the major season is pretty much from the masters all the way through till, you know, till the end of July. And so that's a, that's a really intense five months of golf that you're playing pretty much every week. And, and so a lot of the bigger guys take the weeks off in the fall to kind of, you know, I mean, they have plenty of money, so it's not like they need to play the golf to win anyway, or to you know to live or anything anyway. So, so the lineups in these in these in these tournament fields are, are horrible because realistically, you know, it's it's only the guys who are really struggling to to keep their their PGA Tour card, as well as you know the guys who are kind of you know like well I could actually use an extra payday and and you know better play like Max Home I think I think is a good example um, who I think won three tournaments last year uh, participated in the Fortinet a lot of people are calling it the Fortnite um, and it's yeah. I call it the Fortnite, but just so you know, it's it's actually called the Fortinet, uh, which is like an internet security company, whatever. Uh, he won it last year. He came back this year, and he was like the favorite to win, and he won. Um, he actually won on an insane. It was like so he was he was he was in the bunker. Danny Willett was leading the tournament by one stroke. Uh, Max Homa hits it out of the bunker and like nails the pin, and it drops straight in the hole, right? And so he birdies the hole. He's like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. And Danny Willett has like six feet uh, left, and and to win by like two strokes still, he threw. Three putts it from six feet, and Max Homa wins the tournament. So Danny Willett, all-time, all-time uh, choke moment there. But hey, I mean, he won the Masters like six years ago, so whatever. Either way, that's a good example of of basically what we're talking about here. It's Max Homa competing with Danny Willett to win the Fortinet Championship. The Sanderson is coming up this weekend, and it's going to be even well next weekend because this weekend's the Presidents Cup, which is actually kind of entertaining because you have you know your international players going against your U.S. players, and the U.S. is obviously crushing, but it's still fun to see them play in this stuff. Um, but then next week we have the Sanderson, and, and again it's like you know. Tony Finau is playing against like JJ Spawn. All right. So that's not going to be entertaining for anybody. And that's kind of what I'm getting to here is that then the live tour, I think their next event is in maybe a couple weeks or so, uh, but they only have nine events on the whole basically live tour season. So they play like once a month and then they're done and that's it. Right. And so these guys who have contracts with the live tour are only playing in those events and they're only playing during the time that they're playing. And so then you get into the fact that like, with the PGA Tour, now obviously there's less players because a lot of the players have gone to the Live Tour. And on top of that, a lot of the players don't even really want to be playing in these you know, smaller tournaments in the fall swing anyway. Golf is just kind of going into this spiraling and downward trend of kind of not being relevant on top of the irrelevancy that it already, you know, that already exists within the sport, right? So that's kind of what I, I and again, we're not going to really talk much golf, obviously, because like I said, right, there's the Live Tour and then there's the PGA Tour and neither seem very entertaining right now. And it's also football season. So we're not going to talk a lot of golf during the fall here at least um and that's kind of why i want to get this out now but it's basically like in terms of the future and everything that i see happening it, it basically is one of those things where it's two split leagues and because all the stars are split up among these split leagues you're gonna have some reconciliation of both sides and it's just gonna end up being one big league again and we're all gonna be happy and it's like why did we need to do this thing in the first place it might be a little bit choppy just because obviously the live tour has a lot of, you know, the financial representation of the live tour is not uh, from an area of the world that, that most people are 
happy to be doing business with. But, you know, that's a conversation for another day. Essentially, what you're what we're seeing here is just the fact that, like, there might it might be a little bit tougher for the leagues to kind of combine. Right. Like If we had, you know, the XFL got really, really popular, almost as popular as the NFL, which obviously would never happen. But, you know, we might see some sort of like, OK, well, let's make our seasons during the same part where let's kind of generate some farm system thing where the XFL teams are kind of a one A to the NFL teams. You could see that happen. Well, no, you could see. Well, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is you could see that happen in the in a sport like the NFL, where it's kind of the same sport, and you're all playing there, and there's different, you know, p- people who are playing the positions and everything like that. But with golf, it's like it's an it's an individual sport. It's the one guy who's playing his golf game, and that's kind of it. And so if you have contracts and people, you're gonna promise these guys to make money the way that they you know should be paid, then you know you kind of have to figure something out. So I, I think what's gonna happen is the PGA Tour is gonna end up matching what the Lift Tour does, and they're just gonna start paying these guys, you know. A, a contract, or they're going to pay them money, um, you know, somewhat consistently, and basically end up being somewhat of a contract uh, situation there. And then they're going to be like, oh, well, that's exactly what the Lift Tour does. Oh, well, here's this other thing that the Lift Tour does. Okay, cool. Well, the PGA Tour is going to be like, well, this is what we do better. I think it's just going to end up one being one big happy family again. Um, it'll probably take a few years just because I think we're going to kind of have to work out the kinks of how the Lift Tour is going. It's only they've only done like I think four or five events so far anyway, and it hasn't even really been broadcasted or televised very much, and nobody's really paying attention to it. So that's kind of falling flat on his face so is the pga tour now that they've lost a bunch of their stars so golf is kind of seemingly being doomed by this whole thing and and i mean it's it's just i i don't i just dumb because nobody can agree on anything and everybody it's all about money and it's just like how about we actually try to build the sport because we we want people to watch the sport because that's how the sport gets more popular that's how we all make more money but no everybody just wants to be selfish and and think of themselves as the higher beings uh so yeah golf might be doomed and uh that's kind of all that we have on golf for a long time here hayden what are your comments yeah i'd I'd say the same exact thing i think that's your take about the PGA basically matching whatever the Live Tour does in the near future is probably going to happen, right? But like Matt said, it's going to take a little bit of time for that to be worked out because, right, they're only used to paying the winners a certain amount of money. You know, there's there's a certain amount of there, there's a certain purse they call it for the winners of of each tournament, and it's different depending on which tournament it is. The Masters being obviously the biggest purse across the whole year, and I think that's that's really only fifteen million, I think. Um, and so first place guy usually gets like, I don't know, probably four or five million of that or something like that. And then the rest is kind of split amongst second, third. And then those guys kind of like in the top 10 or something like that. But right, like they that's happening in the PGA right now. I think that one of the one of the things that I have to say about this whole thing is that back when the live tour like really started to become popular and really and a lot of the popular guys started to move over to the live tour was during major season, like we we saw a lot of these guys move over to the Live Tour, these guys that were really popular golfers, we saw a lot of them start moving over when the majors were happening. And again, if if you haven't listened to our podcast in the back in, in the past, and you don't know much about this whole Live Tour thing and how it works alongside the PGA, essentially these guys that go over to the Live Tour, they can't play in any PGA sponsored events, which is every event across the whole PGA Tour season which is basically all year round, like Matt was saying, there's really only one week of off season. All these events are sponsored by the PGA Tour, except for the majors. So there's four majors per year. It's the Masters, the you know the PGA Championship, the uh, US Open, and the Open. And so you've got those four majors. Those aren't sponsored by the PGA Tour. And that's why you never really see, like if, if you've ever watched a Masters commercial, you never see the PGA Tour logo on there. It's because it's not it's not sponsored by the PGA Tour. They have their own logo, the Masters does. So does the the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, and so on, right? 
they all have their own affiliation with themselves. And so technically those guys that are on the live tour, they were able to, to play in those, in those um, major tournaments, which we saw. Right. So it wasn't really a big deal back then. Everybody was like, Oh, you know, these guys are, are crappy for moving over to the live tour and, and ditching the PGA tour. Oh, but we, we still get to watch and play on, on, you know, Thursday through Sunday on this particular weekend. And it's okay because right. We'll, we'll, we'll get to see them play then. But now that, Major season is over, and we don't have another major until April. Yeah, but we don't have another uh, major until April. It's like, dude, you're not going to see these guys on TV for a very, very long time. Some of your favorite players, Cam Smith, some other dudes I'm forgetting about. I think, I don't know if Matt, Fitz, Matt Fitzpatrick went over. Did he? No. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, some, some of your favorite golfers, I think John Rahm went over. Like, he, you know, these guys that you're used to seeing playing throughout the whole PGA Tour season, and that you saw playing in the majors, even though they were still signed with the Live Tour over the summer and, and last spring, you're not going to see them for a very long time. So I think I think Matt's very right with, with his take about PG. I mean, golf in general is just spiraling downward because you've got kind of like split tensions between these two different organizations, the PGA and the Live Tour, and neither one is really popular. Like Matt said, I mean, the when the live tour plays tournaments they play at like 2 a.m so nobody's watching that here in the u.s and they're probably not getting much viewership as much viewership over overseas as as they would get here um and so it's just yeah it's just kind of a mess and there needs to be something that's figured out there needs to be some kind of kind of cohesiveness between the two or else pga i mean golf viewership is going to be even worse than it has been and it hasn't even really been that good even in the past because nobody really likes to watch golf unless you unless you like to watch it. That's essentially what it is. So it's like, yeah. So, uh, so I, I think that it's, it's definitely, I think Matt kind of, you know, had hit the nail on the head with this topic and writing it down because right. Th- this is something that we need to talk about, but it's not really, there's not really much else to say other than like, yeah, it's going downhill. They need to do something about it. The two organizations need to find some kind of middle ground. But, um, but yeah, with that being said, let's, uh, let's move on to our first fun segment here. We've got a You're Wrong segment. So, Matt, go ahead and give your You're Wrong Man of the Week. My You're Wrong Man of the, week, of the Week is the Arizona State Athletics Department, who is wrong for hiring or f- firing Herm Edwards, literally on the field after their loss in the game against Eastern Michigan last week. Now, this has been kind of a, an ongoing saga, right? People thought, you know, that Arizona State was probably going to end up firing Herm Edwards, um, who used to be a good NFL coach. He then went to coach Arizona State. They were like, all right, when he got there, and it's kind of only gone downhill. And they actually are kind of even, I think, still facing some sanctions because they basically had, like, during the COVID kind of part, you know, you weren't allowed to have uh, student-athletes kind of basically – visit the I think it was like be inside the buildings on recruiting visits and whatever and Arizona State like completely broke that and so they broke a bunch of rules there and then they also weren't performing on the field so it was kind of just this bad bad situation going on anyway and you probably heard about this but and that he got fired but it was like literally they had like a video of he he was like walking off the field and then like the athletic director and then I guess whoever else is like his assistants or whatever like meet her members on the field and they just like share some words and then he, he's like nodding and then he just like walks off the field and it's like this like okay they literally just fired him like they just lost the game now obviously they were like 30 point favorites to eastern michigan they should not have lost that game and they did so it was definitely time to do this um but it was just funny how that that all kind of you know it went down at least like on the field right there and he got fired later on in the week i was actually reading an article and which (laughs) like crazy how some of this stuff goes 
there are theories, and this there I don't know how true or what the exact examples are or whatever, but it's possible, or I guess somewhat proven, that some of the Arizona State staff, like the other the other coaches on the staff, like hated uh you know, didn't want basically didn't want her members to be the coach so much so that they essentially were giving away like not secrets but like plays and 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 like I, I don't know schemes or whatever that Arizona State was going to run. They were giving it away to their opponents, so they would like purposely lose. I'm like, what is going? on? This place is a mess right now. So, I guess hopefully now that Herm Edwards is gone, they can kind of get back to to you know rebuilding the program a little bit. But yeah, just a crazy story here with everything going on in Arizona State when uh, firing Herm Edwards. Um, uh oh, stinky. Firing Herm Edwards, uh, literally right after the game while he was still walking on the field. Yeah, that's 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 a tough one. Honestly, that's probably a first. I've, I don't think I've ever seen that before. But uh, and I didn't even see the video. But hearing Matt talk about that, that's uh, that's that's not a very good look for Herm Edwards. He's also the guy. If you guys, I mean, he's he's that super famous guy that uh, in the in the press conference after a Jets, he used to be a coach for the Jets, and he's that dude that at in the press conference afterwards, the one that kept on yelling like, "You play to win the game," and he's he's that guy. So it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of funny because he's just. He's kind of a meme in, in, in himself from that video and from that press conference. But, yeah, now that he got fired on the field by Arizona State staff. Like, what are you doing? All right, so my You're Wrong Man of the Week is, and I said I was going to talk about it, the Steelers are wrong for continuing to start Mitch Trubisky and not giving Kenny Pickett a chance. Come on. I mean, it's it's Kenny Two Gloves, all right? It's not Teddy Two Glove anymore. It's it's Kenny Two Gloves up in this joint. Um, but, yeah, honestly, like, we, we need to – be honest with ourselves and say, okay, Mitch Trubisky, he's, ever since he got into the league, he's always been a mediocre quarterback. When he played for the Bears, he wasn't good there. Now he's with the Steelers, and he still hasn't really shown anything. And so he needs to, I think he sat, he sat beyond Josh Allen last year at, at, at the Bills. I think he played like one game there. So obviously we didn't see really anything from him there. But right now he's back to being a starter, and he's just not really doing much. Like I said, it might be Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator at the Steelers, that's not really giving him a chance to do much with what he's got, but I mean, he's got an athletic ability, but I think Kenny, I, I think it's worth it to start Kenny Pickett to see, okay, well, does Kenny Pickett match the scheme that we're running right now? Because obviously it's not very easy to change your offensive scheme mid season. So in my eyes, I'm saying, okay, well, if we can't change our offensive scheme, which is, seems to be the biggest problem here, let's at least change our quarterback and see what it see what it does for us. I mean, the Steelers are one and two by now. There needs to be some kind of change there. Put Kenny Pickett in. There's been talks of there was actually talks of it before the Thursday night game. That was one of the headlines going into the game. And Mr. Trubisky still started the whole game. We didn't see Kenny Pickett play a play. So I think next next game they have the Jets coming up next week. I think that we should see Kenny Pickett play in that game. I I would not. I'd be surprised honestly if we don't see Kenny Pickett at all. We might not see him the whole entire game. Like we not we we might not see him start the game. But I I guarantee you if. If the Steelers are losing at halftime to the Jets and they don't put in Kenny Pickett in the second half, there's going to be an absolute outrage by every Steelers fan in this country because people are already saying that it needs to happen if they are losing to the Jets and if they end up losing to the Jets without playing Kenny Pickett once, oh my goodness, watch out because all those terrible towels will be they'll be flying uh for for Kenny Pickett. So, right, just watch out for that. I really I I want to see Kenny Pickett play because I think he's a pr- really exciting player and Right, I, he deserves a chance. Um, you know, first quarterback drafted in this class, so why not? Why not give him a chance and 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 see what he can do out there? All right, let's move on to our new fun segment that Matt will explain to you because we've kind of 
done something like this in the past. But let's move on to our ESPN notification nonsense. Yes, that's the new segment. That's what we're calling it, ESPN Notification Nonsense. And we have discussed it a little bit in the past. The premise behind this is, obviously, we all get the ESPN notifications on our phone. I get Bleacher Report and ESPN just kind of, you know, the sports that you like, the teams that you like, they, you know, kind of customize whatever you want to hear about in the news that's happening. You know, they'll send you notifications on what's going on with that sport or that team or whatever it may be. Now, ESPN, I don't know what I signed up for to get these notifications, but there's sometimes they send these notifications that don't have a title and there's always a title that's kind of the what we're getting at here is that there's always you know clemson just beat wake forest in double overtime and it was like you know thriller in double overtime clemson like you know it has like a bolded title and then it or it's like a this just in or a breaking news or you know jalen hurts went crazy on monday night or something like you know something like that and so there's all these crazy notifications that come in with the titles and it's you know exciting whatever but you know what it's talking about but there's some and again i don't know how i get these because i don't think i don't even think hayden gets them so I don't know what I clicked along the way to make to make it pop up on my feed, but there's literally just sometimes these notifications that come in. It says it's like the ESPN app. It's the you know it's the little icon, so you know that it's coming from them. But there's no title, and it just starts saying words and. They're always the craziest news stories. It's usually like international stuff, like, you know, things that we wouldn't hear about directly and that I guess they don't have a a specific title for or or whatever. But it's the craziest things that, like, need to be reported on, but they're just not, like, and they don't give any information behind the fact. They just state the facts, and it's like, what is happening here? So uh, probably the best example, well, a a, a leader in the example of this was actually, I think, a few months ago when um, it it was, and I, I have the wording, the exact wording of the of the ones that we have for these past few weeks because we're going to make it a segment now on the podcast just because of how insane these stories are but one of them was it was right it was like this group of guys from india who were like created a cricket league and and were compl- and were rigging the matches and they they had like they had all this 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 like syndicate of russian guys betting on the league but the indian guys controlled everything that was happening in the league and they were just stealing the russian guys money like th- this is actually going on in the world and you, it just comes up in my feed and it's like group of men from india trick russian betters into like fake league by rigging matches and it's like there needs to be explanation behind what's going on here anyway so that's why this the the uh this segment is now a member of the podcast because some of these things you you just you can't make it up so we have uh we have four nominees and and technically a fifth uh because i actually got one while we were recording the podcast so we have we have a few to go over here two of them uh are related about, and it's about the World Cup, all right. So here, and again, I, like I said, I write this, I write these down word for word from what the ESPN notification comes up with on my phone. The first one, and this was, I think, maybe three-ish weeks ago. It says a trial event for the World Cup final venue in Qatar, Qatar, uh, beset by logistical problems with long lines and lack of water for fans, and that's it. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> like, so we're basically making people dehydrated and who can't actually get into a stadium and the World Cup is happening in like a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like beset by logistical problems. Okay, logistical problems, long lines yeah. and lack of water. Like right. dude, lack of water is like literally the one thing that you can't have. Like people like, are dying. And yeah. I know that this is like a Middle East country and it's in the desert and there's a lot you know, there's not a lot of access to water, but it's like you're hosting the World Cup. It's the biggest sporting event in the entire world. You, you you got to get this stuff figured out. And here's the next one, which actually came through yesterday on my phone. Or no, actually, 
Uh, no, I think it was actually a couple days ago, but either way. Um, it says, 12 years after being awarded the rights to host the World Cup, Cutter's ready for 1.3 million estimated visitors to a nation the size of Connecticut. <laughs> no explanation. What? Like, what? What? Is, okay, there's a lot to break down here. All right? So, first of all, 12 years. And th- this goes back to the water problems. Like, so hold on. You guys knew 12 years ago that yeah. you were going to have the World Cup here, and you haven't figured out how to get your people water. What? <laughs> huh? All right. Secondly, right, uh, 1.3 million people are going to be traveling to, to Qatar for, for the World Cup. And I think that's including, like, the players and the teams and, and, and everybody that's coming traveling with the, you know, players that are going to be representing their countries in the tournament, but as well as the fans who are going there because it's, like, the most exciting, like I said, most popular sporting event in the world. And, and it's, like... The, a nation the size of can, does like does that mean that they don't have enough places for people to stay? Yeah. Is it just like more logistical problems? But it's like okay, so it's the it's the size of Connecticut. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, and that's one of those things where it's like you can control the water thing, but then when you think about it, it's like okay, every you know the the FIFA or not FIFA, but uh, I don't even know what the organi- what, what's the organization for. It's you. Uh, well, no, UEFA, it, it, right? no, it is FIFA. Um, although was it disbanded at one point? I think it was. I know. I think it's still. It's the FIFA World Cup, right? Or is UEFA? UEFA no, UEFA does like the Champions League and all the European okay. stuff. Yeah. So, so it is. It still is FIFA. And so, like, FIFA let Cutter host the World Cup, right? Knowing that they have a nation the size of Connecticut, and it's like yeah. that's that's something you can't change. But but it's right. like but it's still one of those things where you look at it and it's like, dude, did you not realize this when? You signed the contract for it to be in Cutter 12 years ago? Like, it, yeah, it, it, it makes no sense. So this next one I'm going to go over because, I, I mean, Matt sent it to me, so I, I give credit to Matt for finding this one. But this is, like, this is probably, the, I don't know, this this is, like... This might be the bigger one, the biggest one. It, yeah, it probably is. And it like, came through yesterday. I actually got two yesterday. Yeah. And this was the one of the two. And this actually did make a little bit of headlines. Like, I don't know if... Because I know I got also got a I think I got two notifications of, from Bleacher Report about it, so it was at least a little bit more widely reported than than some of these ones that are like buried deep in the ESPN headquarters. Yeah, but but ESPN is is usually the like if you have both ESPN and the Bleacher Report apps, ESPN is usually the one that sends a notification out first about some like yeah. big thing happening. So ESPN sent this notification out first, and again, it was one of those that didn't have a bold title or anything. And this is how it goes: it goes Utah student allegedly threatened to detonate a nuclear reactor on campus if the Utes football team lost to San Diego State. So I, I, they played San Diego State last week, right? No, they played and, them today. Oh, oh, oh shoot. Okay, yeah, so like so basically this this I think he was like a 21-year-old kid that goes to Utah. He he threatened to, to set off a nuclear weapon. Like who has a it's, nuclear weapon? Okay, like, you know what this is crazy? The craziest <laughs> part. I'm about to blow your mind cuz I actually this is the part that I read from Bleach Report. And again, this is not to be like, you know, gender it was a girl. Wait, really? Yeah, it Dude, was a girl. What? And so again, I don't know what happened, but anyway, um, did did you see what happened after that too? She was like arrested. She, yeah, she got arrested. Yeah, yeah, she was arrested, and I guess she was released or something. But now at that at this point, but yeah, I mean, it's like yeah, threatening to set off like nuclear warfare. Yeah, I know because your team can't beat like a, a team from two hours down the road. Yeah, and it, that that's that's one of those things. It's like okay, sometimes you get like bomb threats, or you get I don't know, you get you get threats of like yeah, like kids threatening like you know shoot up an event or whatever. Which again is that's terrible in itself. But like, dude, th- threatening to detonate a nuclear reactor, like <laughs> like what does your dad own like a nuclear nuclear power plant dude like that's that's crazy how do you get have a nuclear no, no, no. Weapon? i think it's on the campus it's like the nuclear react like they do some sort of they probably do some sort of like oh yeah um, maybe you know some sort of some sort of science yeah <laughs> on the camp that has to and they have a nuclear reactor on site and they probably i mean it's one of those things that like if you know enough about chemistry you can make like 
methamphetamine and all these like insane drugs right but like it's probably the same way it's like if you're studying like astrophysiology or something like you you know how to how to work whatever um all right, what's the next one, Hayden? So next one, our last one of the day is no, no. This is the second to last one because we have another one. Oh, okay. Are, it's kind of related to another one that I got like a, like two weeks ago. I I need. To, I'm just gonna start writing all of these down, just screenshotting all of them. But go ahead. All right. So the next one, I don't really know much about this because it's about the Laver Cup, so or Laver Cup. So Matt's Matt's gonna talk a little bit about that and kind of tell you what it is. But the ESPN notification writes: protester lights his arm and the court on fire during Laver Cup match. Was wearing t-shirt. Wait, semicolon was wearing t-shirt with. <laughs> A message about private jets. Like, end, end of sentence. How, like, how does that relate at all? Like, what are we doing? So, okay, background on this a little bit. So, the late Laver. I don't I actually don't even know how to pronounce the Laver Cup is is essentially a, a mixed doubles tournament that, in a tennis tournament, right? That's played every year. Um, and you've actually it's it's in recent it's in news now. It like probably has never been in the news before. It's news now, and especially in the past couple of days because that's uh, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal played ro- played Roger Federer's last match uh, as a like as pair as a doubles pair did you see this Aiden you saw it yeah yeah Yeah. so they played his like that that was his last match and they played Mm -hmm. in this in this cup in this tennis tournament um and and it was you know very emotional and they were both crying and whatever and so that made news because it was the cup but like also when this was happening a guy literally just sat on the court and it's you can actually look up the picture it's like he's sitting there and like his arm is on fire and so is the court (laughs) next to him and he's like his mouth is open so he's like probably screaming in pain because he's lighting himself on fire and it's like what is good what the world like what are we doing so i think too because i think i actually got a notification about this on bleach report as well because sometimes they the bleach report does actually a better job of kind of explaining the situation around this um it was a i think it was a global warming protester so it was someone who kind of went on the court and they were you know and the private jet thing makes sense because like jet fuel is horrible for the environment so it makes sense when you kind of understand the the background a little bit um but still like (laughs) kind of just lighting himself on fire and the court so there we go the final one and this isn't like as crazy but something that's been and something that's been kind of being reported has been in the last i think the year so i think since COVID or whatever now i'm just going to read the one that i got it was 46 minutes ago as we're recording the podcast we were recording it when uh when i got this through and i got another one a couple weeks ago i kind of explained that as well it says brett Favre, who we know as the packers legendary quarterback and a, and a hall of famer pressed mississippi state officials for funding for southern miss facilities despite legality questions what do you got there? That's no. So yeah. I actually know what's behind this. So I think during COVID, uh, Brett Favre was a leading member of some sort of COVID relief benefit program where he basically signed up like his daughter's volleyball team as like every individual person needing the most imp- or like having the effect in- impacted the most by COVID or something needing the most COVID relief or whatever, and like funneled millions of dollars through his his daughter's volleyball team to get them enough funding to like either get players or be like able to travel around the country to participate or whatever and so he's like in the middle of this lawsuit and it's been going on literally since covid because they found out about it then and he's like facing all these charges and stuff and it's like here we go just another one brett Favre, what you doing man yeah. just 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 defrauding the entire state of mississippi so your daughter can play volleyball what are we defrauding. doing yeah that's that's crazy Dude, yeah brett Favre. i don't know man he must have gotten too many concussions or something like that. It, yeah, that man, that whole lawsuit. I, I actually I heard about that before, but again, it it's like it's still going on, and the ESPN is is just blessing up blessing us with these crazy notifications without a title that are so important and have like so many implications on world events. Like not even not even just stuff here in the U.S. It's just like world. I mean, literally the I mean the uh, 
the Utah student thing was really the only U.S. event that was involved in this segment. So, so there you go. I mean, it's just like a yeah. It's one of those things. It's yeah. There was another one international, speaking of international. I don't know if it was the Tour de France. I think it was some like lower um, cycling league event or something. And this was this was a while ago. But again, it's just like these crazy stories where it was like trail of 147 bikers all crash and like <laughs> fall down a mountain in this race in like like Bulgaria. It was this crazy thing, and it's like. This is a big deal, yeah. and nobody's hearing about it, maybe except for me. If you get these notifications on your phone, please comment or yeah. you know, hit us up on Twitter or something because I need to know how I ended up in this situation, but it does bring a lot of joy into my life, and obviously a lot of these things are not very happy yeah. and you know, fun tone as we're making it out to be, but – you know, it's still just is the and it's more. It's not funny because of what's happening. It's funny because of the way that ESPN sends the notifications to my phone and the nonchalantness with which they like write the things out. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. I, I actually, yeah, I actually don't know who like who writes these th- these notifications up because whoever does, like, they need to be paid more because it's just like I don't know. There's hidden gems, but uh, I don't know. I I don't get these notifications, but I think I'm gonna go into my ESPN app and and uh, and like do some kind of setting change to where I can get them again. I don't know. Matt doesn't even know how he gets them because you basically have to like favorite whatever sports you want to get notifications from when you download the app and you, you can always change that in your settings. But I mean, these things, they're not really any of Matt's favorite, favorite sports. Maybe, I, I don't know. Maybe like if you check every box, you just get these, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh it's a crazy world out there that we're living in. Anyway, that is the end to, episode seven of season three of first down rundown and uh yeah thank you guys for listening we will be we will be back sometime mid next week i'm guessing um probably not monday because that gives you guys basically no time to listen so we'll probably try to be back tuesday ish somewhere around then um so that we can get this 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 episode out or the next episode out to you guys and get that recap of this weekend of college football, which is, I mean, weekend of football in general, which is already already gearing up to be a really good one because, right, the the one o'clock games or the twelve o'clock games kind of just just ended like a you know forty five minutes ago ish, forty five minutes to an hour ago, and Wake Forest, right, they lost in a in a in a heartbreaker against Clemson in two over in double OT. So uh, so it's already gearing up to be a good weekend for football. We will be back with you guys to talk about the whole weekend uh right probably right somewhere around tuesday thank you guys for listening to this episode and we will catch you then